is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 174 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to one of my, like, in real life besties, Caitlin Duncan, and we're going to be talking all about hybrid publishing, what it is, how you can be hybrid, things that you need to um, look out for, uh, pros and cons, all of that good stuff. But first, to last week's question, which was, what's your 2023 reading goal? Lena Johnson said, I usually read 100 books a year at least, but I'm finding that I focus too much on the number of books I read and not the books themselves. This year, I haven't set a number goal at all so that I won't feel rushed. My goals are to read as many newer books in my genre as I can, which is science fiction, and to read more craft books. Seriously, my craft book TBR is insane and just keep growing and I need to spend the necessary time to absorb the lessons. Ian Worrell says, never counted how many books I read in a year, so I will go for 55. Jackson Hollingsworth said, look forward to listening to this. I'm a slow reader, so my goal is 25. A doable goal for me and one I hope will hopefully surpass. I also definitely want to read more indie authors. Edwin Downward said, slow reader here. Last year, I made it through 35 books, but I'm keeping my goal at 30 for 2023. Eden Collier said, I mean, my only reading goal is to real, read all of Gail Carragher's books because, oh my God, I think I'm in love and currently devouring all of her books that I can get my hands on. Robbie Lemon Francis author said, my goal is 50 books. Several of those I'm reading twice, once for pleasure and a second time using... Oh! the strategies in anatomy of a bestseller i really hope that the deconstruction tips help you a mac descendant said my reading goal is 24 books that's just novels the writing craft books don't count towards this goal so i hope there are craft books on top (laughs) okay so this week's question is how do you procrastinate and um yeah i'm curious to see (laughs) what things you allow yourself to do. Maybe it's positive procrastination enabling you to think, or maybe it is the less positive type of procrastination. Okay, the book recommendation this week is the book of the author that I'm going to be interviewing. So it's the that was easy for me to say, The Successful Hybrid Author by Caitlin Duncan. I have read this book. It is excellent. It is a very compact, comprehensive guide to hybrid publishing. So if hybrid publishing is something that you have considered, then I would definitely recommend this book. Oh, in personal news and update. Well, I'm still fucking sick. (laughs) I've really had enough of this now. Um, I think I probably sound the worst I've sounded. Um, At least on the podcast, I had a a period of time a few days ago where I sounded like a teenage boy, which was hilarious. Um, But I'm, I'm really done. I have been sick since the 29th or 28th of December. It is, as I record this, the 19th of January. So we're knocking on three weeks now. And the the doctor did say that it was viral and that it could be three to four weeks before it comes out of my system. But knowing Sasha, she didn't fucking listen. She assumed it would go in like a week. And so I went back to boot camp and um, ruined my body because I don't know how to do anything other than go 100% in training. And so, of course, <laughs> when I was trying to recover, I then drained myself of everything and uh, got sick again. So it was sort of coming out of my system after a week and I should have just rested longer. And you're all going to be groaning and rolling your fucking eyes at me and it's totally like legitimately valid because I am a bellend, I didn't listen to anybody and I got sicker. What a fucking surprise. All right, Sasha learned her lesson. Okay. so yeah, I I have a deep and sexy voice today. No, it's really not sexy. <laughs> it's like breaking. Oh dear. Anyway, uh, I am on the mend. I am also implementing a few things to help me. So I am not going to be on camera for the next week. Um, I'm not doing any sprints or video presentations or anything other than essential podcast recording. 
as I do have several podcasts. I think I have three in the next week to record. So that's it. Um, I have cancelled lots of things and I do apologise to patrons um, who uh, I, I cancelled the movie night this week because I just needed to get into bed, which I did. And it <laughs> surprising no one once again. <laughs> I felt better this morning. <laughs> I mean, it really is shocking, isn't it? The breast actually works. I mean, who fucking knew? And uh, also apologise that this intro is so choppy. It's because I keep coughing and having to cut the audio. <laughs> anyway, so I am definitely feeling like I am on the mend. However, I need a bit longer. I, I think give it a week and I will be significantly better. So that's good. I've also learned some lessons um, about... Um, how much energy I give out and one of the things that I am doing is leaving my phone in my office at nine o'clock well between nine and nine thirty that's when I leave it in the office and then um, I'm either going to sit on the sofa or I'm going to get into bed and read and lo and behold I'm finding that I'm generating more energy pennies by doing that I mean it's really like I feel like an idiot because I feel like these are things that everybody else in the whole world knew except me <laughs> oh dear me anyway they, it just now I'm doing it it just seems so fucking obvious and I just anyway anyway moving on so in the last week I have been writing words not very many because I've been sick um so I'm definitely behind but I also know that uh I generally do this and I generally speed up so I may be a week at most behind but I think by the time I get to the end of the book I'll probably only be a couple of days behind because I tend to catch up uh, towards the end of the book because I speed up so um the audio book of the anatomy of a bestseller is now live I'm delighted to announce that it is um I love it. I'm really proud of it. I think it is a great audiobook. And yeah, so if you would like to get your hands on a copy, then you can. Um, it is live on Audible and it is going live on all of the other stores. Find a way is pushing it out as we speak. It's definitely live on uh, more than half a dozen other places. So um, yeah, please do check it out. Um, it will be going up on my store probably by the time this goes out. So yeah, you can get your hands on a copy of uh, The Anatomy of a Bestseller audiobook. I will also be releasing another episode of the show, a bonus one, uh, that will be the intro to the book, so you can have a sneak peek listen to that. In other news, Heroes and Villains are still on sale. They will be on sale until the 30th of January. They are on sale digitally for $1.99. So if you have not got your copy, now is the time, people, because I can't promise they'll ever be on sale again. Three more announcements. The next one is that uh, I am delighted to be presenting at Fictionary's uh, first conference. That will be, I think I'm presenting on the 13th of February. The conference is the 12th to the 14th of February. It's online. Um, and if you come along to the Fictionary community, you can uh, get all of the details and your tickets. Um, so uh, the the ticket price is $199. However, um, Fictionary wants you to fall in love with this conference. So if you sign up through the Fictionary communi community space, then you can reserve your ticket for free. So I'm going to leave a link in the show notes to the community. Please note, I'm not an affiliate. I'm just a presenter there. Um, they don't have affiliate uh, anything, I don't think. Um, but I'm just sharing it because uh, it's free to sign up if you're part of the community. And of course, I'm speaking there as well. Last two announcements then. There are not one, but two reading challenges if you read sapphic fiction this year. The first one is on the iHeart Sapphic website. The challenge runs from January 1st to December 31st. You can join at any point during the 365 day span just by picking up a book and starting to read. 
um, to promote the widest variety of women-loving women stories, the IHS team has selected 100 categories, ranging from age gap romance to sci-fi and everything in between. And there are prizes, monetary prizes for participating. So if you are interested in that, I'm going to leave a link in the show notes. And secondly, Jay, uh, Jay Author, who also writes uh, sapphic fiction, is running a sapphic book bingo, which is a year-long event for readers of sapphic fiction. And this one also runs from January 1st to December 31st. And you can join anytime you want. So um, I'm going to put links to both of those in the show notes. The Rebel of the Week this week is Carla Halia. Carla says, My oldest son is much like his mother, curious and stubborn. When he started kindergarten, he wondered how long his hair would grow until he graduated from high school. We agreed he could uh, grow a tail, but uh, get the rest of his hair cut. I assumed he'd get tired of it. But no, he kept it going until the first day of high school in spite of lots of teasing and comments over the years. He then said he didn't want to cut his hair from the first day of high school until graduation. I was okay with this so long as he kept it neat and clean. In his senior year, he needed a portrait for the yearbook. Again, my attitude is, I didn't care so long as we had a nice picture to send his grandmother. Side note, it was lovely. And the studio submitted for the chain-wide model contest. He didn't win, but that's how a lovely... Uh, picture it was. That's how lovely of a picture it was. He brought a pirate captain hat with him because, like me, it's hard to take these sorts of things seriously. He had on the dark classic suit, white shirt, and and with the red power tie, and did all the classic yearbook poses with the hat on. We added the pirate motivational speaker pose, the schwami uh, smile with a thumbs up, and it was uh, a tough call, but we ended up deciding the classic thinker pose was the best for the yearbook. He was scared of the yearbook girls. They take their yearbook duties very seriously, so I brought it for him. One of the girls whined, are you sure? In 30 years, I cut her off and said, trust me, in 30 years, you won't care. Uh, on the morning of graduation my son pulled his hair into a ponytail and lopped it off with a knife I took him to the hairdresser to tidy it up and neaten it for the day he pinned the tail on the back of the pirate captain hat and smuggled it into graduation as they were checking everyone for modifications read unauthorised messages on their traditional mortarboards when we went up for his diploma he put on the pirate hat and walked up on stage with gravity pomp and circumstance all of the official photos are the principal doubled over in laughter and him being serious i love this so much his wife says one of the things she loves about our family are things like this knowing what to take seriously and what doesn't matter in the long run oh and she loves that photo of him and the inappropriate olympic photo we also took that day we had been discussing how during the olympics there is always that one odd athlete and or sport where the male athletes end up on the national cover of news magazine shirtless with the american flag blowing in the wind behind them he is a runner and was on the cross country and track and field teams so he did one photo for me as a joke in just his running shorts with the fan on him (laughs) His hair and the flag billowed behind him like a superhero cape. It's hysterical. I promised not to show anyone publicly, but I did show it to her so she knew what she was getting herself into. She jumped in with both feet. What is it they say about apples not far of rolling far from the trees? Oh, I love this so much. Oh, absolutely lovely, 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 lovely story. I love that you kind of like encourage your kid as well to be a rebel. What an amazing parent you are. Okay, guys, I I, I really don't want to get on my knees and beg for you because I don't like to bend the knee, but I am begging you, please send in your rebel stories. We are super, super low. Um, If you've sent one in and you've not heard it, maybe check in because sometimes they do get lost. Uh, But we are so close to running out. I, I really, please, if you have a story, we need it. We need your stories. They can be anything, big, small. They can be a relative's story. (laughs) They can be a pet rebellion, a grandma rebellion. They can be a work rebellion. Any, any, any kind of rebellion. And remember, if you want to be anonymous, that is also okay. Uh, If that is the difference between you sending it in and not, I am more than happy for you to be anonymous. Okay, you can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Welcome and thank you to new patron Claire. I am extremely grateful for your support, uh, both on Patreon 
and for the support you've been giving me in other ways. You know what I mean. Um, I really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, if you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as a bunch of bonus content, like the Slack group, the masterclasses, uh, bonus uh, funny reels, audio blooper reels, and all that kind of stuff, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. This week's episode is sponsored by Kobo Writing Life. So I'm just going to uh, talk a little bit about Kobo and why they are so freaking awesome. Kobo Writing Life is Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors and their team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. And with that in mind, let's talk about how KWL authors can reach library readers. Right now, digital books are reaching more people than ever, and libraries are becoming an integral part of that. In 2021, 121 digital library systems powered Overdrive surpassed 506 million checkouts. This means a lot of happy library readers, and library readers are some of the most engaged and passionate book lovers out there. You can easily add your book to Overdrive's library system through Kobo Writing Life. All you need to do is go to the rights and distribution section of your book, click yes to Overdrive and enter a library price. Your book will then be available to librarians to purchase for multi-loan use, but also for a one-time checkout option, and you'll earn 50% on every library sale. If you're not too sure what price you should set for your book, we recommend roughly the same price as a mass market paperback. Your book could be loaned out several times, which is why we encourage pricing higher than your normal ebook. And don't forget to tell your readers that they can now pick your book up in libraries. If you're interested in taking part in library promotions, email our team at writinglife at kobo.com and we'll add you to our mailing list. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com forward slash writing life. And I actually recommend that you email writinglife at kobo.com anyway, because if you are not on all of their mailing lists for all of the various different promotions that they run, then you should be because they send out some really useful uh, emails every month telling you about the upcoming promos that they're doing and it's a great nudge and reminder for you to go and apply for them and I am on all of them and I just emailed and was like please can you add me and they sent me the links and I signed up to all of them so highly highly recommend that you do that okay enough from me and my husky little uh, voice today let's get on with the episode Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am super excited because I have an in real life friend with me today. I have Caitlin Duncan. Caitlin is a multi-published author of adult and young adult fiction and has ghostwritten over 40 novels for children and adults. When she's not writing, she's obsessing over many, many television series and hanging out on YouTube where she shares her writing process and all the bookish things. Hello and welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you are most welcome. You are always welcome here. So you were last on the show on episode 100, which was um, as of today, I think it was 73 ep- episodes ago, which like that blew my mind 70 that's over a year ago so um tell everyone what you have been doing since then wow um since 2021 i believe i was querying at that time a book that i self published last year so that was my um debut adult psychological thriller her buried lives um i decided to go indie with that book and it's been awesome. Um, I did my first um, self-produced fiction audiobook, which is a lot different than nonfiction, as you know. Um, and I wrote this book about being a hybrid author and sort of going through my journey and interviewing a whole bunch of other authors talking about it as well, because I think it's super important, especially also, nowadays. You have that book going, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it, but you have that book going somewhere special as well, don't you? I do. That are book you, is going... Are you allowed I don't, to say Oh. No, no, it's been announced. I just okay. realized. Yeah, she announced it. Yeah, so Her Buried Lives is um, getting an exclusive hardcover with the Unplugged Book Box, um, which will probably be sold out. And right now it's sold out, and I'm like a little scared that 
you know, I wanted to buy a bunch of copies, but uh, I'm really excited for that. So that's been a fantastic experience. Wow, that's so cool. I didn't realize it was sold out. You did not tell me that. Um, that is amazing. Uh, and also, what the hell? How am I supposed to get a box now? Um, <laughs> so what was your, like, what do you think was your biggest thing that you learned from that experience? Or what was like the thing that gave you the most joy, like from that experience? Well, specifically, uh, Melanie from Unplugged is working with a lot of indie authors, which I absolutely love. And we sort of collaborated on creating this whole new book, basically, like the even like some of the interiors a little different. Um, It's a custom made um, like actual book jacket and actual book end pages. Um, you can actually flip the dust jacket around to have like a different dust jacket and spine and everything. So it's been a lot of fun to work with her. Um, it also has sprayed edges and it's just been a fantastic process and it's so fun. And it's sort of another way that like I quote unquote sold my sub rights in a sense to my hardcover because I haven't done it myself. And, you know, we work together on pricing and stuff. So it's just, it's been so cool to sort of let her kind of handle a lot of those things when this book I've touched every, you know, single part of it. And like, I think it's incredible. Has it given you the confidence to maybe do something like that in the future, but maybe on your own via Kickstarter or anything like, because to me, it's so overwhelming to even like, I did my very first um, hardback dust jacket with a game of hearts and heist. And like even that process, I, I just, it was so scary and so intimidating and so like, didn't really know what the fuck I was doing. <laughs> um, but, you know, I did it. And I just think it's so lovely that you got to do like a super special edition. And I also think that special editions are extraordinarily popular at the moment, like making that reading experience an experience. Um yeah, uh, I don't I don't really know what I'm talking about. Anyway, this is not really what we're here to talk about. I'm just excited for you. Um, you. So let's start with the basics. What even is a hybrid author and what are the various ways an author can be hybrid? Sure. So a hybrid author is someone who sort of has both foot in the doors of traditional and uh, being an independent author. And that can look so many different ways, um, as sort of we discussed, because your case study specifically is in my book um, as well. And I love talking to you about um, selling your subrights for foreign translations. So, you know, you can be an indie author like you who sells um, foreign translations, sells audiobooks. Um, you can sell, I guess for me, uh, in terms of selling my, uh, my hardcover. Um, and then, um, you can do rights reversion as well, uh, which is sort of how I became a hybrid author where I started traditional, then I had some rights reverted back on my books and you really can't sell those to other publishers. So I self-published. Um, so it's really all over the place or else you can, you know, sort of have two pen names, one that's a trad, more marketable series or set of books or, and then you can also be self-publishing as well. So it's really just having both feet um in both doors basically for trad and indie yeah and the alliance of independent authors talks a lot about selective rights and understanding that your book isn't just one thing there mm-hmm. are like like you said you could sell just audiobook rights or you could sell just audiobook rights just to spanish speaking countries for example mm-hmm. like your book is so uh, multifaceted and multi-leveled that as indie authors we have to look at our books as like products and businesses mm-hmm. that we can sell little pieces of um what's the name of the gentleman um dean wesley smith talks about the magic bakery and i just think that's such a a great um analogy where he talks about how you know the book has lots of slices of pie in each one of those pies uh, a subright like you've mentioned mm-hmm. okay um i wondered if you could go into a little bit more depth about the different types of publishing routes an author can take Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the one that really everyone knows about is traditional publishing, which means that you can get an agent. Um, I've never had an agent before, but I did submit to a digital first publisher. Um, so basically, most of the time, top level, you get an agent, they submit your book to editors at uh, big or small publishing houses. 
um, like, you know, HarperCollins or Scholastic, any of those. Um, and they basically do all the work. So they will edit the book with you. They take care of the covers and distribution and printing and things like that. And you receive a royalty based on um, each copy sold. Now that has a lot of other um, logistics in terms of your advance and stuff like that. Um, but that's basically that publisher controls the work. Whereas when you're self-publishing, you take care of all of the costs up front um, in terms of the editing, cover design, distribution, stuff like that. Um, so that's sort of the high level that you can take. Um, and you can whittle that down too. So I know a lot of um, authors now are doing uh, co-ops, um, author-led co-ops. Um, you can do, you can work with a hybrid uh, press, um, which sort of a lot of people think about hybrid publishing and hybrid author is the same thing, but a hybrid publisher is someone that you sort of, you work together in the fact that you do pay for some of the cover or editing or anything like that. And then um, they help distribute it. It's sort of like an in-between. So um, there's just a million different ways <laughs> that you can sort of go about it nowadays. And with hybrid publishers, do they take a percentage of your royalties? It depends on the publisher. Like I've I've seen where an author will pay for everything up front um, and get all of their royalties because the hybrid publisher is sort of working as um, like a project manager and they have different freelancers that they work with. Sometimes if maybe you pay a certain amount towards publishing, they may take a percentage of royalties, but it really depends on the contract. So um, a lot of people mix them up with vanity presses. Vanity presses tend to be the the scammy ones, um, but hybrid publishing is definitely an option for a lot of authors. So let's talk about some of the myths, I think, that surround both traditional publishing and indie publishing. Because I think there's a lot of looking at either side as a silver bullet or um yeah well yeah that is what I think I think a lot of us look at either indie or trad and think silver bullet it's gonna work I I can do this I'm gonna make loads of money so what do you think are the biggest myths that surround each of these paths um well the biggest myth that I just absolutely dislike is uh, that trad publishing does all your marketing now that is true probably for a very, very small percentage of authors. Stephen King, uh, Victoria Schwab. Like. There you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I've always been a mid-list with my publisher. Um, and, you know, those are the authors that I think work the hardest. And um, sometimes we are not given a lot of publicity and we are mostly given that free publicity, you know, social shares and stuff like that. Um, so one thing that I've learned throughout the years is that you have to be your biggest advocate, which is sort of why I look at writing books in the author for a series is that I'm trying to help others from where I was to now, um, navigate these paths. Cause they can be some sort, sometimes very like not very transparent in like how things work. So trad does marketing, um, is probably the biggest myth, um, and then the fact that there's only one path, um, because I've been a ghostwriter, um, I do I've done a lot of freelance when it comes to um, comes to fiction and nonfiction. So th I don't think there's one path. Um, I do think that a lot of people think that traditional is like the more like the better way because it's trad publishing, whereas there are people killing it at self-publishing, but also too people who are killing it at self-publishing. I mean, they could kill it even more by going trad with some of this stuff. And I know, you know, we discussed uh, Korean translations, you know, you probably weren't going to go do them yourself, but now you have that, you know, as a diversification of your income and that's totally awesome. Yeah. For me, it's, <sighs> It's so difficult because it's like wrapped up in so many of my basements. But like, I I really struggle with letting go and like not having control over the process. And I think for me, the biggest issue is that if I give up rights, I it becomes very difficult to get a return on my investment. So if I gave up rights and then they didn't market it very well, I would still need to market 
which means putting money in and getting a return on that, um, you know, 20p a book copy is going to be very, very difficult. Let's talk about um, the money side of trad, um, because I think a lot of people hear advance and think they're going to get a big lump sum. So can you just explain how the money works with trad? Now, this is just based on what I've talked to other authors for. I've, like I said, I've never had an agent. I've never had an advance. I was with a digital first publisher, which meant I got higher royalties um, on the onset. Um, But when it comes to an advance, basically this is money given to you upfront. It's guaranteed from a traditional publisher. And I know a while ago they did the publishing publishers paid me on Twitter and there's quite a discrepancy between a lot of authors. So nowadays, um, you know, the advances are less, but that is basically guaranteed, as I said. And then once your book goes out there, you have to earn that money back to your publisher before you see any sort of royalty reports um, in terms of you getting money from them. So that's a little that can be a little sticky, um, but a lot of authors don't earn out, which I don't think a lot of people know, um, and they just make that set amount of money um, per book, and then you hope to get another contract and more money. Yeah, and the two bits that I that always trip me up are the fact that in order to earn back your advance, you are earning, let's say your advance was a thousand pounds and you have a 8% paperback, like let's say 10% because the maths will be easy. You have a 10% royalty um, and um, that's after costs. So let's say you are getting on an 8.99 book, you're ending up with, because 15% of that 10% the agent takes. Mm -hmm. Um, So you'll be getting like 60p, let's say 60p a copy. I think that's even sounds like too much to me. I think that's too much. But anyway, let's say 60p. We're not going to argue about maths. Um, You have to have enough copies sold that those 60p's add up to 1,000, not the 899. And that's what a lot of authors think is that it's the 899's adding up and it's not. So you have to sell a metric shitload of copies in order to earn out your advance. And the Mm -hmm. other bit is that you don't get your advance in one lump sum. Right. You get part of it on signing. And I think this varies, doesn't it? But depending on the contract, but typically you would get someone signing, someone you deliver the final draft and then the rest of it on publication. So you're not really getting that thousand pounds. You're getting three lots of 333.33, whatever recurring minus 15% that your uh, agent's going to take minus whatever your tax is so like you don't actually end up with an awful lot and um so yeah I always want to highlight that because whilst the advances can be a huge benefit you're still not gonna get what you think you're gonna get um so yeah I always think that's important to um talk about okay so How do you know when you should go hybrid? Like, what are some of the best ways to approach this? How do you know the time is right to do it? How do you know which book to go hybrid with? I think that's about four questions, but (laughs) (laughs) no worries, no worries. Um, So for me, it was rights reversion. Um, I was given back the rights to my book. So I figured I could draw it and it never see the light of day or I could give it away to, you know, my newsletter list, or I could um, republish it myself. Um, And that was the first time I've ever done that. So that's one way you could do it. Um, When you're looking at books sort of from scratch, like I did for Her Buried Lives, I had thought I wanted to traditionally publish it. Um, But the feedback that I got from agents was changing a core part of the story. And I decided not to do that. So um, I self-published it. So you could look at, you know, what's in the market. If you have a a book that you want to sell, does it fit in the market for traditional publishers? 
you know, you have to understand the industry as well and what's selling. Um, and in terms of self-publishing, I mean, there's so many different routes you can take and experiments you can do. So a lot of people are experimenting with KDP Select. Um, and there are certain genres that do very well in uh, KU. So it's, re- I, I would have to say it's it's about creating or having as much knowledge as you can about the industry, the current industry, sort of looking at trends and then trying to fit your book into wherever you think you can go. And also too, I mean, it really depends on um, your ability too. So if you don't have a lot of income outside of, you know, your job and you can't spend the money, trad would be a way to go because they cover all the costs. Um, but I would always keep my my eyes open for for different possibilities. Yeah, I think knowing the market is like critical and it's almost like you could just like writing to reader and delivering exactly what the reader wants you can write to trad and deliver exactly what trad wants right and and you can do that by looking at the market understanding what's required looking at um and you have to forgive me because i can't remember the names them there are loads of databases that to agent query and other ones like that that tell you what agents are looking for what they want to fill their slots with and so you can literally write what they are asking for um and yeah follow the trends and i definitely think that like there is so for example one as we've discussed many a time one of the books that i want to query if i could just edit it is the <laughs> scent of death um and the reason that i want to do that is because the sapphic young adult market is dominated by traditional publishing there are maybe three authors who have ever published young adult sapphic stuff um and so it makes sense for that but in order to do that the way that i wrote the book is not necessarily the way i would have written it if i was going to self publish it it's definitely got a certain t- a tone a certain lilt to the prose which i think is more suited to trad but i went into that book knowing that right Mm -hmm. whereas with a game of hearts and heists um i wrote that fucking book for ku i literally wrote it for ku because it's fast-paced it's snarky whippy it's romance it's spicy um and it's hooky right and so Mm -hmm. i and i think that is what encapsulates a really good description of KU books. They're fun, they're hooky, they're fast paced. But the point is, we're going off on a tangent, but I'm going off on a tangent, I should say. The point is, is that know your market, spend time in the market, read the books, follow the authors, see what they're doing, look at what Trad's doing or what they want or what the agents are saying they want on their dockets and fucking deliver it. Because rather than, you know, or you can write, what you want, the book of your dreams, the, your art, the, the art in your heart. <laughs> and and you can take a chance, right? Yeah. But, it, it, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I'm like, well, are you writing what readers want? And what we mean by that is what the market wants, like at yes. the end of the day. And nobody wants to hear that, ultimately. But anyway, yeah. I'm going to move on. <laughs> what are some of the pros and cons of being hybrid? Oh, the that's the pros and cons. I think the biggest one is that that time split. You're you're basically splitting time uh, across two different um, paths. So you can write all the books of your heart, the art heart, as you said, and um, self publish them, or or find your audience after. Um, but that comes at a cost of time and money. I mean, if you're going to self-publish, you got to pay for a lot of things up front. Um, if you're splitting your time between two different publishing paths, you have to figure out how much time you have to do such things. Um, also to like the pros of being a, a hybrid author is that you have some unique skill sets um, when it comes to marketing. So, so, you know, if you have traditional books out there, you can have, you know, if you had any sort of uh, quotes from 
any review sites or anything like that, you could say, oh, you know, you use that as leverage for independent publishing. But then when you're independently publishing, you can have all of these experiments when it comes to marketing. So it's it's really, it's up to you how much you want to, you know, put into in terms of time into both, but um, that can be a con um, unless you like to write a lot, which can be a pro because you can put out as many books as you want. Um, and of course, there's always the pro of retaining rights to your books and being able to sell sub rights as you see fit. Do you think that because, so uh, I don't want to come across as really Machiavellian, but this is exactly what I'm about to come across as. Um, <laughs> do you think that going hybrid, whichever way you're going, be it indie or trad as your second path, do you think you can harness readers and get crossover? Or do you think that that's really a myth? Like, so if somebody's indie and they go trad, do you think that they can pick up trad readers and come to their indie? Or do you think, or the other way around, if they're trad and then they go indie, do you think they carry readers across? Or do you think that actually that's a bit of a myth and the audiences are generally separate? I don't think it's a myth. Um, I do think it would take a lot of um understanding of the industry and understanding of your audience um another author that i interviewed for the book is gail carriger um who wrote the parasol protectorate series and man she has the best option clause where um she can basically write in her traditional series but self-publish these books under a certain word count which i think is amazing um one of my, I know so, another another author who got picked up recently who will remain nameless because they haven't given me permission to say um, who got an option clause to write novellas. Um, yeah. And I was just like, I bow at your feet of yes. geniusness because they are super clever and super canny to have gotten that into their clause. So well fucking done them. And to Gail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, I mean, her, um, so she's continuing her series. So she's pulling trad readers into her indie and, and vice versa. And I think that's another point to say um, when it comes to understanding the publishing industry is that the book is the book, but the contract is also a huge thing you have to look at. You have to, when you come in with a contract, I mean, it's great, it's fun, but you have to sit down and say, does this contract allow me to do what I want to do with my books? And if it doesn't, you know, having the chance to walk away is a chance you may have to take. Yeah. And I think we need to talk about this because this is something that I talked to uh, with my dad randomly bringing my dad into this but um my dad that is like the first thing that he says to me so I actually interviewed my dad uh for this book two of the hearts and heist because um there's a negotiator in this book and that is what my dad does my dad negotiates deals in day in day out so I interviewed him about it and one of the first things that he said is like rule number one is you have to be willing to walk away and I just don't think that many of us are willing to do that with trad because even though we know we fucking know all of the pitfalls and the problems we are just still so many of us want that validation I want that fucking validation I know I have to be willing to walk away and I still don't know if I would be if somebody came and offered me a reasonable deal I would find it very difficult to walk away because it is external validation and it is like the holy fucking grail of the dream that we've all been dreaming for since we were all kids in libraries like oh you know I want to yeah I just I just wish that we all had the empowered confidence to look at these contracts objectively and say no or or yes but we have to negotiate this clause or whatever and like that is why for sure I will always run a contract past my dad (laughs) (laughs) because like some trad person comes on waving big zeros at me I'm gonna be like (laughs) um anyway yeah so um I don't even know where I'm going with this um did we 
Yes, I think we talked about how to know where, how to assess a book. Each did we talk mm-hmm. about how to assess each individual book? I think we did, didn't we? We did. We touched on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you would add? Um, you know, in terms of the contracts, that you know, that's I wish more newbie or unpublished authors knew. Um, you know, again, look at it with a professional, um, and not to like dig at agents or anything, but even your agent contract, have a professional look at it uh, because some agent contracts, you know, may not have the um, the clauses that you'd like and the clauses that you'd like for your future. So that's step number two after writing a book is to definitely look at it with a professional. And I think um, as someone who's never had an agent and I negotiated four contracts for myself, I the best contracts I have are the ones that I hired literary lawyers for like specific literary lawyers. And I know Ally has some resources um, and a lot of different um, authors societies have resources as well. So be sure to look at that before you sign anything. Do you, will you continue to pursue a hybrid career? Yes. Um, I'll never say never to trad. But right now, I don't think I have anything in my head that I want to pursue trad. Um, But I'm very much someone who likes new and novel things. So I'm always looking for different ways that I can pursue writing um, that doesn't necessarily have to look like books with HarperCollins, for instance. Yeah, Yeah. who we're not talking about because they're horrible. (laughs) And me, (laughs) don't pay their staff properly. Um, okay, so through your journey from trad, ghostwriting, being indie, what's the biggest lesson you've learned about the business of being an author? Um, that it's not anything that I ever thought it would look like. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's not, you know, as you talk about like the kids' dreams of seeing your book on bookshelves like it's it's it can be so much more um so much more nuanced and I don't regret any of the decisions that I made in terms of going to trad first because I learned so much and I don't think I'd have enough confidence to do indie now if I didn't but um it's so we live in an awesome time uh for publishing and I've learned to just keep my eyes open and pivot where I need to it i i think indies generally come to writing as creatives mm-hmm. but the business is like a, a minimum of 50 percent of this job mm-hmm. and so many of us need that business education i think because i still i feel like i'm only just now getting a grip of the business side of it and I don't even know how many years I've been doing this now. And like every, I think the other thing is that we just, I just never stop learning. I just I learn something constantly every single day about this business or about doing business or, you know, giving up rights or or which rights to give up or, yeah, I just, oh, I love this job yeah. so fucking much. I, I really yeah. do. Um. Okay. If, you were to give listeners an actionable step that they can take to initiate their hybrid career after listening, what would you give? Well, first of all, I'll read my book. No, yes. <laughs> um, no if you're looking to initiate uh, a, a pivot in your path, um, find out where those people are. So if you're going from trad to indie, join. There are so many Facebook groups, as much as we hate Facebook. Um, about being an indie author and if you're going um you know the other way make friends network i'd say networking is probably one of the biggest things um because you get real life experiences in terms of um you know you could go if you're going trad to to indie i know that i picked your brain a lot on how to do things um the, the things that i've never done before outside of writing a book um so I just say find where um, your people are that you want to be um, and 
pick their brain. And I feel like so many authors are so willing to talk about their experiences. You just have to give them the opportunity. So I'd say network. Um, and also too, um, with my book, I have four interviews, including Sasha, uh, that talk about how authors can go from self-publishing to traditional and vice versa. Um, and you'll probably be able to pick up some tips from there as well. If listeners would like to look at um, slash stalk slash investigate some really good hybrid authors, who would you recommend they have a look at? Um, you mentioned Gail Carragher. Yeah, Gail Carragher, uh, Rachel Heron, Sasha Yu, uh, Helen Schroyer. Um, there's so many that came up. Who are we just talking about before? Uh, Um, uh, Travis Baldry, but he's now completely trad. So his journey Mm -hmm. is interesting because he went, he published his book Indie and then got picked up within like a couple of months. I think it was, that's this week's episode, um, Mm -hmm. funnily enough, uh, as we're recording, um, and then uh, another one who's very good is A.K. Mulford, and they um, have an incredible success story, and they came on the podcast. Uh, I can't remember the episode number off the top of my head, but it's definitely on there if people would like to go and listen. Um, and they are uh, hybrid now, too. And I'm trying to think who else I know. But definitely those were a couple that I could throw. Yes, Sarah Rosette is one. Yes, that's a great Um, one. uh, Golden Angel. They're in my book as well. Um, I have a bunch of different ones that I just can't think of the top of my head. But, um, you know, there's like Travis, there's a, you know, E.L. James. Oh, yeah. Um, Andy Weir, um, who wrote The Martian. Um, Scarlett um, St. Clair. St. Clair, yep. Katie Robert is another one who's hybrid now. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, look at us just reeling people off. But the interesting thing is, all the hybrid authors are earning megabucks. Mm-hmm. So what does that tell you? Yeah. <laughs> There's definitely some uh, great business going on there, I think. People with, with their brains switched on and getting good good contracts out, out of it. Yes. Okay. Um, so this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Well, you know, I'm such a role follower. And I think <laughs> I said the same thing in the previous interview where I'm like, oh, it's my book. But it really is my book. Like this book is another like niche rebellion for me. It's a very small rebellion where I say no to just one path. I say, why not both? or why not pieces of both? Um, Because I think a lot of self-publishing probably came from rebels who didn't want to, you know, traditionally publish or were rejected. And that's awesome because um, I love all the technology nowadays with self-publishing. So I'd say this book because it's not the quote unquote one path to take. I love it. Okay, tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and anything else that you would like to add. Sure. Um, All of my links to my socials and my books are on my website, uh, caitlinduncan.com. And you can also buy my digital products, uh, ebooks and audiobooks from my my, direct from me at caitlinduncanbooks.com. Yeah. And this book, The Successful Hybrid Author, is the book of the week for the episode. Um, But just in case, would you like to tell everyone the full name and does it have a subtitle just in case? It does not. It's just a successful hybrid author. Yeah. Okay, perfect. All right. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, then you can for as little from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Caitlin Duncan, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by another of my favourite humans. Well, maybe not human, maybe cyborg is more appropriate. I am going to be joined by the incredible Jenna Moresi. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. 